Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you that the new book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make, is going to be available this Hanukkah. It's been very, very widely received. We sent out about a thousand pre-publication copies to marriage therapists, people who work with young couples, and the response has been really, truly amazing. Please look for it at the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, or your local Jewish bookstore. Chayesara begins with the description of the life of Sara. Vayu Chayesara, the life of Sara was Meashana, a hundred years, Esrim Shana, twenty years, Veshevashanim, Shnei Chayesara. These were the years of Sara's life. Sara lived to be a hundred and twenty-seven. But the Pasuk is very lengthy and uses the word Shana repeatedly way too many times. Rashi explains that each of those expressions is used to teach us a lesson. When she was a hundred years old, she was like Abbas Esrim. It happens to be that the based in Shamala doesn't judge a person until 20. Until you're 20 years old, you're not considered mature enough to be culpable, and therefore until 20, a person is absolutely innocent. He's not obligated for anything, he's not high for anything, he's as innocent as the driven snow. When Sarah Imenu was a hundred, she was like a person of 20 years of age. And just like a person up until 20 is absolutely innocent, not a single sin, because they're not judged by the upper based in until after 20, Sarah at a hundred years old was totally, totally clean. When she was 20, she was like a Bas Sheva. For Yofi, Rashi explains, when she was 20, she was as beautiful as a seven-year-old, either meaning her physical beauty, or more likely her innocence, her pureness. Shnei Chaye Sara, these were the years of life of Sara, Kulan Shavin Latov. All of them were equal in their being good. No breaks, no bad times, no falling away, no being kind of taking it easy. 127 perfect years, the quintessential tzaddikis, the woman who accomplished her purpose in existence, the hallmark of a true tzaddikis, one of the greatest human beings who ever lived. And that is a description of the life of Sarah. Now, I'd like you to know that the life of Sarah was not so easy. Sarah Imenu had a difficult time. When she married Avram, she was Avram's equal and his partner in everything that he did. And from the minute that that happened, she suffered along with him. <clears throat> when he was thrown into the Kivshana Aish, that was her husband. When they had to go down to Mitzrayim, that was her husband. But more than anything, she suffered the vast majority of her life without having a child. Her role in life she knew to be the mother of the Jewish nation. She yearned for that, she waited for that. But it wasn't until she was 90 that she got to be the mother of Yitzhak. But here's the point. She was married at 15. Avram was 25, Sarah was 15. For 75 years, she was an Akara, she was barren, begging, beseeching, asking Hashem, asking Hashem, year after year after year after year, and until 90, she didn't have a child. Kulan Shavin Litov, despite that obvious Nisayan, despite the obvious difficulty, despite the tremendous challenge, every year was spent in absolute righteousness. Whatever Avram accomplished with men, Sarah did with the women. She was a quintessential Sadekis, a tremendous, tremendous person. And all of this would be quite interesting 
but for one comment of the Dasakinim. You see, the Dasakinim picks up the fact that the beginning of the Pasuk as well is also extra. Vahiyu chaye sura. Vahiyu doesn't belong there. Explains the Dasakinim. Vahiyu is there to tell us something. Vahiyu is the gematria. If you add up the gematria of Vayu, the Vav is 6, the Yud is 10, Hey is 5, Yud is 10, you end up with 37. <clears throat> 37 were the years of Sarah's life. She only had 37 years. Why? Explains the Das Kenan, because until 90, she was barren. She didn't have a child. It was only when she was 90 years old that she had Yitzhak. That was her life. Her entire life was summed up in those 37 years. <clears throat> the years of Sarah were 37. Okay. Now, this Dasakinim is quite difficult to understand. Because didn't Rashi tell us her entire life was spent in absolute sitkis, total righteousness, dedicated to Hashem, emunah and Hashem, doing whatever she could to help the women, whatever she could accomplish. She spent the first 90 years in utter perfection as well as the last 37. And what does the Dasakini mean? As if to say the first 90 years don't count. Her entire life, you want the summation of her life? 37 years. First 90, doesn't count. Not on a scorecard, not relevant. That sounds very, very difficult to understand. She spent 90 years as a tzaddikis, growing, accomplishing, doing whatever she could with absolute purity, cool and shavu letov. How could you discount it? How do you strike it from the record? What does this Dazakanim mean? And to answer this question, I'd like to focus on something that I find quite often. Many, many people have questions. Questions on Hashem, questions on life. Why do I have things so rough? Why is it so tough for me to earn a living? Why can't I find a shidduch? Why am I having such trouble with my kids? Many, many questions. I believe the vast majority of these questions are based on one mistake. They don't have a picture of life. They don't have an image of what life is supposed to be. And because they don't have an image... They assume life is supposed to be something totally different than what it is, and therefore they have these questions. And let me give you a muscle to what I mean. Imagine you're sitting down to put together a jigsaw puzzle, a 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. Now, if you know what you're doing, it's not really that, that difficult. You look at the picture on the cover of the box, and you study it. You sort of see, there are the clouds, there's the mountains, you see the shack over here, there's the ocean... And you kind of get an idea, you get a picture of what this puzzle is supposed to look like. And then you sit down to the 2,000 pieces and you begin dividing them out. The steel gray is for the mountains, the green is for the grass, the shack is kind of that, that wood kind of color. You begin piecing it together. And most people, without that much difficulty, spending a little time, can put together a 2,000 piece puzzle. But what if you had to put together that puzzle but didn't get to see the picture before you started? What if you were presented with 2,000 different pieces and you had no idea what the image was supposed to look like? In that case, I think very, very few people would be able to put together the puzzle because who knows? There's no pattern. 2,000 tiny little pieces. I can't even tell. How do you know what it is? What it, maybe, maybe it's a, a mountain sea. Maybe it's an ocean. Maybe it's under the sea. Maybe it's a map of the United States. How do you tell? And I believe that's a very apt parable. If you don't have an image of what life is supposed to be like, you're, you're plopping in the dark. But if you have a clear image, 
if you know what life is supposed to be like, you're not going to know the answer to every question in life, but you know about what it's supposed to look like, things fall into place and things make sense. And if you'd like to create a very clear picture for what your life is supposed to be like, there are two things you have to keep in mind. Number one, why we're here. Hashem put us here for a few short years to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. And this is the gym. We're here to grow. We're here to change the essence of who I am. And then for eternity, I go to the spa. I'm there forever. This world is the pros door. It's temporary. When I'm in it, it looks very, very real, very significant, very important, and it looks like it's going to last forever, but it passes like a dream. And then my body's put in the ground, and for eternity, I am what I shape myself into. Lesson number one you have to know is that we're here to grow, here to accomplish. We were given the Torah, the mitzvahs, as the spiritual guide post, as the ultimate system of spiritual self-perfection. This world is the pros door, is the corridor. But there's a second thing you have to know as well. And that is that each individual has a mission. Each individual has a tafkid. And my tafkid is not going to be the same as yours. If you imagine there's a king, and the king has many, many employees. There are butlers and maids, horse grooms and stable boys, soldiers and generals, gardeners and groundskeepers, builders and framers, cooks, bakers. Many different roles to play. Yes, we were all put here for the world to come, but in this world now, each of us has a different mission, a different tafkid. My mission is very different than yours, and yours is very different than mine. But there's only one thing that matters, how well I played my role. We are but actors on the stage of life. If my role to play was the groom's boy, to take care of the horses, but I played my part well, I'll shine forever. If my part to play was the personal scribe of the king, and I was given all the honor in the world, but I did a lousy job for eternity, I got the back seat. We're all put here to grow, to accomplish. Each of us is given a different mission, a different tafkid. But even after you have a clear picture, and even after you know why we're here, and when you know your mission, the next part is often even more difficult, and that is making peace with your mission understanding that Hashem knows very well what He's doing, and He gave you a role to play that fits you exactly, like a hand in glove made perfectly for you. And I'll give you an example of what I mean, why it's not so simple. When one of my daughters was in a music appreciation class, they got tickets for the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra. The Hungarian Symphony Orchestra was coming to New York, and apparently tickets were very inexpensive, as in, I don't know if anybody wants to see Hungarian National Symphony Orchestra. In any case, they invited anyone who wanted to come. So my wife and I joined my daughter, and we attended the uh, the concert. Now, I'm not a big uh, fan of classical music. I don't listen much, but I certainly appreciate it. It was beautiful. It was sophisticated. And I was sitting watching the performance. After the first movement... Somewhere in the second movement, there's a lull, and I see a man walk onto stage and get behind these big kettle drums. The music begins again, and two minutes in, he goes, boom! A moment later, he goes, boom! 
A few moments later, it goes boom for a third time. <clears throat> and then when that movement stopped, he exited the stage. That was his part. His part to play was to bang the kettle drum three times. Apparently he traveled from Hungary just to do that. That was his part. That was his part to play. Okay. Now I want you to imagine with me for a minute the following. Imagine that the conductor of the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra has a young son. And the young son is incredibly talented. The father works with the son from the age of three. He teaches him to play the flute. And the kid is just incredible. He's a virtuoso. He picks it up. He's fluent in it. By four, five, he's playing entire symphonies. And by six years old, he's performing. By seven, he's on stage in front of thousands of people. They're astonished by his talent, by his ability. The kid is gifted. And he's playing one day with the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra. And suddenly he hears the kettle drum. Boom! 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 And after the symphony goes to his father, he goes, Dad, that sound, it was so big and so loud. I want to play the kettle drum. I want to play the, I don't want to play the flute anymore. I want to play the kettle drum. So I says, come on, you're, you're talented. No, I don't like this tinny little sound. I want a big sound. Son, you stick with it. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I don't want it, Dad. I don't want it. And the kid never plays the flute again. In fact, he takes his flute and he bangs with, on the drums. I want a big sound. I want a big sound. I want a big sound. Needless to say, the child would destroy his talent, never become a fraction of what it could have been, and the biggest waste is he was so gifted in that area, but he wasn't happy with it. It wasn't a big enough sound. And many people in their drive for attention, for honor, maybe even driven to get bigger and better, fail to be comfortable in the role that they're given, and they destroy their potential, and ultimately destroy their lives. You see, each of us were given a role to play that fits me exactly like a hand in glove. I was given an instrument. My instrument might be the violin, and the violin may be nowhere near as impressive as the cello, as the bass. It may be much more faint. And if I need to be heard, I need to be noticed, I need everybody, and I give up the violin... Well, guess what? That's the instrument I was given. And I was given an instrument and given the talents to play it. And if I play that instrument well, I could win accolades, I could win awards, I could be the gifted violinist I was meant to be. But if I decide to give it up and the flute isn't good enough for me, I need to play the drums. Well, guess what? I'm going to do a lousy job at it. Because Hashem designed the instrument to fit me. I was given an instrument, given the talents to use it, and if I do that, then I reach my potential. If not, who's to say? And I believe that's exactly the answer to Sari Menu. You see, Sari Menu at 20 years old was a sadekis of unimaginable proportions. Purity, holiness. But who she was at 20 was nowhere near who she was at 30. And who she was at 30 was nowhere near who she was at 40, nor at 50, nor at 60, but it took her until 90 years of age to be ready for her mission in life. Her mission in life was to be the mother of the Jewish nation. But it took years and years of begging, beseeching, imploring Hashem, please, please, I want to try, please, please. But it was only through cutting through layers and layers of physicality, layers and layers of haze. And only at the age of 90 did she reach the, her purpose in existence, her real tafkid, 
namely to be the mother of the Jewish nation. Did the first 90 years count? Oh, you better believe they counted. She was a tzaddikah, and she was every minute preciously and properly. Tremendous accomplishment. And what the Dasikanim is saying is in terms of our mission in life, her mission in life was to be the mother of the Jewish nation. That mission did not begin until she was ready for it. And she wasn't ready until she was 90, because to be the mother of a nation, even at 20, is not something that Tzari Mena was ready for. It took until 90. And the first 90 years were hugely impactful, hugely important, but vis-a-vis her mission in life, they were really preparatory, they were getting her ready, both counted, but in terms of her mission in life, it was only the last 37 years of her life. And I think this Nasekinim has many, many lessons for us. Number one, when I hear young people say, what's my tafkid, what's my mission, how can I find my mission? And the answer may be, you can find your mission. And it may not come to you until 25 or 40, or maybe 50. Again, sorry, Mena was 90. We all have taryag mitzvahs, we're supposed to grow and accomplish and learn and daven and do everything we're supposed to do. And you may not know exactly where you fit into the picture until the time is ripe. Until you're ready, until the generation is ready, who knows. But you have to keep your eye open and you have to keep ready for it. And that's a very important lesson because a lot of times people look around, what's my, what's my tafkid? Could be you're not there yet. Could be you're not ready. But there's another lesson that I think may be even more important. What was Sarah Imenu's tafkid achayim? To have one child. Not a dozen children. Sarah Imenu did not have 18 children, nor 12, not even 6, not even 4. One child. You mean I was put on the planet? The whole reason Hashem you made me. My mission in life to have one kid? Just one kid? That's nothing. Many women have 12 kids, 8 kids, one child. Hashem, that's all? Yep, that's all. And if you'd like to know how Sari Menu ranks, I think she did pretty well for herself. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's uh, Sari Rivka Rachel Valea. As in, if not the greatest woman who ever lived, certainly right up there, one of the most. So even though she didn't have 12 kids, even though she didn't change the world, she sure did. Because she was given a mission, and that mission was to be the mother of this one child. And when you do that mission right, you literally light up the world. And the results of which you can't see. And when Sari Menu died, Yitzhak was still a bacher, was still not even married. Nevertheless, we're here now because of that one child, and that one child lives on for eternity. And I think this is a huge lesson, because sometimes people have this attitude of, what am I doing? What am I accomplishing? Especially women. What am I, I'm playing all day with the kids on the floor. That's, that's what Hashem, changing diapers. That's what Hashem wants me. That's what I'm doing here. And the answer is yes. If right now that's your mission, yes. But I'm not, I'm not changing, I'm not opening a base Yaakov movement. I'm not starting chesed committees. And who said that that's so noble? Who said that that's what you're supposed to be doing? Sarah Imena was put here. Her main mission in life was to have one child. And if you're in the age of when your children are little, your tafkira chayim is to bring up wholesome, happy, well-formed Ovde Hashem. And the more energy you put into that, and the more time, effort, and resources you put into that, the better you're do- doing your mission. But this, just just this little, th- yes, 
that little thing is huge. And again, if you ever have a question about it, just look at Sari Menu. And it's not just women, it's men as well. Come on, listen, I'm not a great uh, Kira person, I'm not a huge Tamachacham, I'm not, what could I accomplish? I'm not wealthy, what's, what's my Tafkid? And many times, it's not what's so grand and so glorious. It's not what makes the headlines. You know, I, I want Olam Haba, I want to start a huge organization, I want to be Makar of thousands of people, I want to change the world, that's wonderful. If you were given the talents, given the abilities, and put into that position where that's ripe for you and you're ripe for it, go for it. But the vast majority of us are not put into that position. And what that means is not that Hashem didn't get it right, and not that Hashem doesn't love me, but that I have a different mission. And if my mission is to be a butler or a maid, my mission is to be the horse boy, if I do that right, I accomplish worlds, but I have to recognize that my instrument may not be the loudest. I may have been given a flute, which is so small, you can barely hear the sound. But when you hear a virtuoso play it, it's haunting. And it's music that's incredible. And if your part to play, if your instrument is a more quiet instrument, that may make the most beautiful music in the world to come. And each of us are rated by one single criteria. This was your part to play. How well did you play it? And looking at other people and what they accomplish and what they did, it's wonderful. It's good. He's learning shots. It's amazing. He learns 12 hours a day. That's fantastic. I wish I could. Maybe I should, but I, right now it's not for me. I, I wish 10 times more for him, but I'm okay if that's not my mission. I'm okay with the fact that if I legitimately know that that's not what I'm supposed to be doing right now, I'm comfortable with the fact that Hashem gave me different talents, different strengths, and they may not seem so grand and glorious. They may not make the headlines, but it's okay. That's what Hashem wants me to do, and if I play my small instrument but play it well, that is my mission in life, and that's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And again, this concept cuts across so many issues and answers so many questions. When you have a picture of life, when you understand that we're here to grow and accomplish, and you understand that each of us have a mission, life itself has a framework. Life itself has makes sense. There's a picture. I may not know the answer to every one of my life situations, I may not know why this and why that, but I get it. I, I, I understand. I'm able to put together the 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzle because I know what the picture looks like. The problem is, if you don't have a good image, life doesn't make sense, and you have many, many, many questions. And really, this concept cuts a little bit further. I'd like to borrow from Shmooz 24. Let me give you a muscle. An actor gets a call from his agent, and the, the call sounds something like this. Listen, Jack, we got a, we got a great script. It's a guaranteed Oscar. I'm going to send the buy. I want you to sign it. We're going to do it. Next day, the actor reads through the script. His agent calls him up and says, Jack, we're going to do it, guy, right? Nope, not doing it. Jack, what's the problem? Uh, the other actors will change you out. Not doing it. Cash, we got more cash for the other guy. We're going to do it, right? Nope, not doing it. But Jack, why? What's the problem? What's the problem? The problem is the part. Look at the part you have me playing. The guy's a, a luckless down and out. Yeah, but Jack, that's just, just the part you're playing. You're going to do a guy, right? I can't stand the embarrassment. The whole world sees me as a luckless idiot. Click, he hangs up the phone. Now, that conversation never happened. 
Because any actor, as well as anyone going to the theater, understands that the actor has a role to play. The actor is given a script, the actor is given a part to play, and is rated by one criteria. How well did you play your part? If his part to play is an idiot savant, but he plays it well, and won accolades and won awards. If his part to play is the most successful human being on the planet, but he plays his part poorly, the critics will rip him to shreds. We are but actors on the stage of life. Given an instrument, given a script, given a role to play, and we're judged by that one criteria. Now the reason why this muscle is so important is because when you look at life through any other lens, life doesn't make sense. Let me share with you what I mean. There are such vast differences in human beings' abilities, talents, capacities. If you know a small group of people, take a class, take a shul, take a small group of your friends, you'll see such vast differences in talents, in abilities, in intelligence. And at a certain point, you should say to yourself, gee golly, why? And let me make it very clear. I do not know of the human being alive who woke up one morning and said, Ah, Hashem, I think you should create me with 180 IQ. Brilliant song. No, you know, change that. Hashem, give me an 80 IQ. Kind of daft, kind of slow. You know, it'll be easier for me to navigate life that way. We don't get to choose our intelligence. No one wakes up in the morning and says, Hashem, make me 6 foot 4, big and strong. No, Hashem, make me 4 foot 6, kind of crumbled up. We don't get to choose our intelligence. We don't get to choose our physical stature and much of our temperament as well, we don't get to choose. Daniel Goleman in his book Emotional Intelligence writes that at 22 months of age they can determine the nature of the child, bold or timid, extroverted or introverted, because hardwired at birth is much of the personality, much of the temperament, much of the inclinations of the child. Can you go further yeah, within a given limitation. But if you look around a small group of people, you'll see vast, vast differences in talents, abilities. And when you realize that each of them are but stage settings, each of them are but roles to play, you begin to understand life. But if you don't understand that, you should ask many, many questions that have no answers. I'll share with you an example. I know two brothers. One brother, everything he touches turns to gold. Financially incredibly successful. Beautiful marriage. Each of his children, one is more special than the other. And he has a brother. The other brother, everything the other brother touches turns to mud. Can't earn a living. His shalom bias is on the rocks. And his kids, excuse my saying it, one's a bigger misery than the other. But here's the point. Two brothers brought up in the same home, born to the same parents, went to the same yeshivas, living vastly different lives. And don't tell me one's trying and the other one isn't. Do you ever notice some people are socially gifted? They know just what to say to whom, how, and when. And some people are social klutzes, and they can't quickly enough change the foot in their mouth for the other foot. Some people are just so talented, and some people aren't. Some people have it easy, and some people don't. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to share with you the mantra of the high school girl. I have four daughters, and I believe it's the mantra of every high school girl. 
it go, goes something like this. It's not fair. She has such good friends and such good clothes and, and she's so pretty. It's just not fair. And I'd just like to share with you that she is 100% correct. If you believe that Hashem put us on this earth for our position here, if this world is the end all and be all, then she's 100% right. It's not fair. There are vast inequalities, vast differences. And why would Hashem do it? But once you understand that we are but actors on a stage of life, my role is not what matters. As they don't ask me when I leave this earth how much money I have, they don't ask me how intelligent I was, they don't ask me how handsome or pretty I was, they ask me what did I accomplish with my talents, what did I do with my skills, my abilities, how well did I play my role. And when you understand that you understand everything is irrelevant, the only relevant question is, how much of your strength, your talents, how much of you did you become? And I think there's a mushal that well defines this concept. There was a novel written a number of years ago. It was a secular novel. The storyline is about a football player. He's a quarterback, and he's getting in shape for the Super Bowl Sunday. And as the story goes, he's riding his bike on a country road. He's riding this way, and at the end of the road, there's a long, winding tunnel. He heads into the tunnel this way. Unbeknownst to him, there's a car coming the other way. As the story goes, the angel of death is new to the job that day. The angel of death sees the football player coming this way, sees the car coming the other way. The angel of death says, why wait for the collision, the blood, the mess? Instead of waiting for the car to actually hit the bike, the angel of death took the football player out of his body and brings him up to heaven. They bury the football player. Everything is fine and well, except one problem. This man was an athlete with keen instincts. Any normal person who would have hit the car deserves to be dead. This man would have veered off the last moment. He would not have been hit by the car. He deserves to be alive. The angel of death made a mistake. Ultimately, what do they do? That they decide to do the only thing they can do. Find someone whose time, in fact, is up. Someone who's close in age to the football player as possible. And they put the football player back into the body of this person. The football player opens his eyes and he sees that he's now occupying the body of this rich tycoon. He looks around this palatial manor, the butlers and the maids. And then he feels the flab on his body. And the cute part of the story is when he has the butlers and the maids on the front lawn running football drills as he tries to get his arm in shape for the big game three weeks forward. Now that may be a cute story, but there is a very real punchline. That exact experience happened to every one of us. Before I was put into this body, I, the one who thinks, I, the one who remembers, I, the one inside, I was under Hashem's kisya, covered under the throne of glory, and Hashem said, this is the generation into which you shall be born. This is the exact family. This is the exact birth order. This is your temperament. This is your nature. Go out there. Ford those streams. Climb those mountains. And become the great individual you can become. But handcrafted for me an exact stage setting that fits me like a book. And when you understand this, fundamentally you understand life. I think the Dasakinim is sharing with us something profound. Sura Imenu at 90 was a tremendous, tremendous person. And she kept Tariag Mitzvahs, she kept everything. But in terms of her mission in life, she had not yet begun it. Vayu Chaye Sura, 
the years of her life really were, her mission in life was to be the mother of the Jewish nation, only the last 37 years. Vis-a-vis her mission, the first 90 years were preparatory, they were build up, they were getting her ready. Make no mistake, those 90 years were incredibly valuable, and in the big picture sense, a huge part of who she was. But again, there's two parts to this. There's the reason I'm here, which is to grow and accomplish, and in each individual's mission, her mission did not begin until 90. And there's so many lessons for us to learn from that. Number one, sometimes the mission doesn't sound so grand and glorious, one child only. Number two, until you understand your mission, until you understand why you're here, you're likely going to be very unhappy. You're going to look around and see big instruments, kettle drums. But if you were born to play the flute, and in the flute you'd be a virtuoso, like that little kid who wanted to bang the kettle drum, it doesn't go. You ruin your instrument, your talent is wasted, and you're miserable in this existence. You have to recognize that not every person was given the same mission in life. Vastly different missions. And it's not because Hashem loves you and doesn't love me. It's not because mine is better than you. Each one was handcrafted to fit the individual. And some missions in life look so grand and glorious, and some look so plain and pushed. Well, I got news for you. Each one was handcrafted with love, specifically for that individual, and the ability to recognize that Hashem knows very well what He's doing. And Hashem created for me the ideal state setting, the ideal mission, and getting real comfortable with that allows you to grow, to accomplish, ultimately be happy. I'm not measured compared to you. You're not measured compared to me. None of us are compared to anyone else. We're compared to the greatest demanding standard, the standard of you. These were your talents, these were your abilities. How much of you did you become? And I want to close with one last observation. We don't like to admit this, but to be quite frank, we are all very judgmental. Ah, don't judge me, Rabbi. Don't ju- yeah, we, we pretend we're not. But I got them all pegged. This one is real good. This one's better than me. This one's not as good. He davens well. He's balchesed. This one's wealthy. This one. We sort of can't help but be very, very judgmental. Okay. Now, let's assume that I've got it all worked out. I know exactly where this guy's holding, where that one's holding. This one is going in the front row, Ganadin. This guy's going in the back row. This guy in the middle. I got it all worked out. I'd like to share with you, I don't. And I'd like to share with you why I don't have a clue. I am a, I'd like to think I'm a fitness buff since the time I'm a little kid. I've been exercising only a little too for my life when I didn't, and that was the time when I wasn't so healthy. But in any case, for years and years, I've been a fitness uh, fitness guy. And at a certain point, for whatever reason, I decided I'm going to start running. And I was very into running, and this wasn't that many years ago, and I was very proud of the fact that even though as a kid I never ran, and I really didn't pick it up until somewhere in my, really my late 40s, um, within a short amount of time, I was running miles. I was running five miles in about 37 minutes, about somewhere around seven minutes a mile for five miles, which I was very proud of because I thought for a middle-aged person, not too bad. Then I read about a fellow, a Marine, who ran five miles in over 50 minutes, in almost an hour. And I said to myself, what? I'm a rabbi, <clears throat> closing in on 50 
and this is a Marine who's supposed to be in top shape. I run a mile in 37, five miles in 37 minutes. He runs five miles in, in 58 minutes. What's the deal? Until I read the rest of the article. You see, he ran those five miles with a 90-pound pack on his back. Now, if you would like to know what that means in plain language, go to the gym, pick up two 45-pound plates, and try to hold them for a minute, let alone walk with them, let alone run with them. He ran five miles with a 90-pound pack on his back, and yes, he did it in 58 minutes, but believe me, that's a fit of strength and fitness that I could not ever even begin thinking of attempting. And that really is the point. I know exactly where this one's holding and that one's holding, except one little problem. I don't know the pack on their back. I don't know what weights they're carrying. I don't know what these actions mean. I don't know what his challenges are. For one guy, I know he barely shows up to davening, except I find out that he has social anxiety and he can't put himself... He doesn't know where to put himself. They're saying, here, too close to that guy. He can't dive in a minute because it drives him crazy. I know exactly what this guy's holding. He should be learning way more until I find out that ADD multiplied by 10 is a description of his essence. Our ability to judge another human being is pretty, pretty poor because I don't have a clue to the pack on your back. And the reason that's very important to keep in mind is we're not supposed to judge. That's obvious. But we're supposed to also recognize at a certain point that I'm incapable. And the minute I feel superior to someone else, or the opposite, the minute I feel inferior to someone else, i got to ask myself, what do I know? What do I know about his background? What do I know about his talents, his abilities? What do I know about the pack that he's carrying around? And not only am I not supposed to judge, I'm supposed to recognize I can't do it. Hashem gave me a mission. My job in life is to grow, to set my sights, to set my goals lofty and high. And to understand that my mission is my mission. If that mission is to play the flute or the violin, the cello or the kettle drum, do it. Do it with energy. Do it with zeal. And do it with tremendous simcha, knowing that Hashem gave you your role to play. It may not be the loudest. may not be the biggest. But it's the best for you. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. They could be on this subject or any other subject. <coughs> Excuse me. Please feel free uh, to uh, raise your hand if you like. Uh, we're going to take Avram first, but please feel free again. If anyone's shy, you can take a moment. If you're real shy, you can write the question in. But uh, if you're not so shy, you can raise your hand. Please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions. And um, it looks like Avram's got the first. Go for it, Avram. Shalom. Right. Um. So the question is, is I guess, a two-sided question. One is, is that um, for, for most of us who don't really know exactly what our, you know, very sad topic is, and we won't know about it until we get to it. Um, so two angles. One is, uh, assuming there's always going to be little little things that draw us, you know, to something, you know, whether it's math or it's science or it's uh, working in certain fields, it's whatever, is that something that you should use to guide at least to think, say maybe that's at least a, a path towards what maybe the task will eventually lead to eventually whatever, when that time comes? And B is if you're not sure what your task is now, so it's not like you have an instrument that you're playing, you can say, well, this is your task and, and uh, don't look at the next guys. Uh, if you don't know what it is in the first place, so why, uh, what's stopping you from looking at right. the other guys, right. uh, the instruments he's playing? 
Okay, two good questions. Okay, let's begin with the following. The Chovaz Vavaz explains to us that Hashem gives an inclination, a natural proclivity to each person towards a type of malacha, towards a type of work. He explains, just like the cat intuitively hunts the mouse, the robin intuitively hungers for the worm, Hashem gave a nature to each person to earn his living. What you're supposed to do to earn your living is follow that instinct, follow that nature. You go out in the marketplace, find a way to use that talent in a productive way to earn your living, and that's what you're supposed to do for your living, and you're supposed to trust in Hashem. That is not necessarily anything to do with your tafkid. Now, your tafkid may be to be a father, to be a son, your tafkid may be to be a balabas, your tafkid, I, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Very likely, and for most people, a tafkid is not some ground-shaking, I'm going to start the largest stuck organization in North America. It might be to be an honest walking Kiddush Hashem. If a Jew is honest in business, if his word is his word and he keeps his word, and everyone knows it, and he keeps the Durham and he keeps he davens and he does what he's supposed to, that might be your tafkid, to be a good, solid balabas. I don't know. If I were Elio Novi, if I were Shem, I could tell you. I'm certainly neither, so I can't tell you. And, but earning a living and that are two totally different things. Earning a living, you have a natural sort of natia. Let's say and some people are really good with their hands. Some people naturally love, uh, you know, photography. Well, Avram, that's, uh, there's a ringer over there. Um, if you can find a way to earn your living in, that's what you should be doing. But again, tafkid is a much bigger, broader concept. And that is what we what were you here to do, what were you here to accomplish. And again, it may not be um, it may not be the most b- glorious sounding thing in the world, but it might be the right thing for you. Now, in terms of why not to look at others, there's nothing wrong with looking at other people and saying that's astonishing, that's great. Look what he accomplished. This guy did that, and this guy that's wonderful. That's great. If it inspires you, you should do it. <clears throat> but you also have to learn to be comfortable with your talents, your abilities, with what Hashem gave you and find your area where you're supposed to grow and accomplish and your mission in life. So there's nothing wrong with looking, but again, as long as you learn to remain happy with what Hashem gave you, and if you don't find your tafkid right away, first of all, again, you might be living it right now and not even realize it. Um, But you're right, it could be that it'll be at a later stage in life. Most likely, you're already living it. And the question is how much you do with what you're given now. All right, does that answer? Okay, good. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Okay, before I before I take the next question, I do um one second, I do have to shut this off. I'm not going to do this one second. Uh yeah. I do want to mention again one more thing that I mentioned in the beginning. Chazak is an organization in Queens that's doing phenomenal work. I mentioned earlier the Ashkenazic Jews when they came over to these shores in the 1920s, <clears throat> the assimilation was horrific. We are now living in the Holocaust of spirituality. We're talking about generations and generations that were lost. In the 20s they came over, and there were no yeshivas, there were no institutions, and the next generation went to public school and were gone. In the Bukharian community, they're finding the same now. There are thousands and thousands of Bukharian kids who come from traditional homes who are now in public school. And there are certain organizations who are dealing with this in a very real way. Chazak is one organization. And Rabbi Ilan Meryov and Rabbi Yaniv Meryov, they run this organization called Chazak. Chazak has taken in three years 
they took over 1,000 children out of public school and put them in yeshiva. That means they pay the tuition, they convince the parents, they convince the yeshiva to give discounts, etc. They organize it, they structure it. Over 1,000 children have been saved. But when I say saved, if you come from a Bukharian background, basically you're traditional. Take a kid like that, put him in yeshiva, in no time at all, it's like instant soup. He becomes a from kid. You're talking about taking a thousand nefashos and saving them. And if they had more money, they'd be doing more. Anyway, they're running a charity campaign. And I asked Ramirez to make a to make a page. I wanted to make a schmooze page, and my goal is to raise $5,000. My wife and I already donated $500. If you'd like to join in the, um, in the Q&A, you can see a link over there. It's basically www.charity, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y.com forward slash chazak. But you have to remember the chazak is spelled funny. C-H-A-Z-A-Q. If you can't find it, just go to charity.com, charity. The real campaign begins in four days. And this is an attempt to get matchers. But if you want to join the uh, Rabbi Schaefer team and help me reach that goal of $5,000 and not to be embarrassed in front of Rabbi Meriov, um, you can just click there and make a donation. But in any case, any amount is, is very appreciated. So please, please join it. I'm going to take one more question now because Grace Tzadik, Edward, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Shalom Aleichem, how are you? I think you have the floor. Edward, you with me? Edward, I think you're able to talk, no? I guess not. Yes, you can. Yeah. Hi. Hello, Shalom. Did you hear? Now did I hear you. Hear me? Now I hear you, yes. Yeah. Actually, I saw you on Wednesday. You didn't recognize me on Derek Hashem Shul. Oh, I didn't see. Oh no, I didn't even look. I, I, I was very. Dis- I have people there. I get very distracted. I, I get. No, no, no. I was uh, dressed like a woman. I had a wig and I had woman dress. You're not gonna tempt me. My wife is right over here on my right side. She won't leave my side. She sits right over here. So you don't. You're not tempting me. Don't. Oh, Sorry. I had makeup. So I look like a woman. Yes. So here's my question. Yes. <laughs> you, you know why I came like that? Because uh, this time uh, of uh, Edward, it's, it's, it's Halloween tomorrow night. Get you dress, when's, when's Halloween? It's almost as bald. Bald Erev. All right, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. You know, one day I feel like a man, and second day I feel like a woman. So I'm like in terms uh, of yeah, 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 yeah. Strange like, times we live in. Torah input about transgender people because today I feel like a man tomorrow and a woman and I went to you as a as a woman I dressed like a woman you didn't recognize me okay now okay, what, what so, the Torah is saying okay. about hey, wait, I'm I'm going to address that issue I don't address this publicly because it's a loaded issue but I want to address that issue I want you to imagine the following <clears throat> imagine that a fellow walks into the psychiatrist's office and he has a huge fish hook piercing his mouth. He's stark naked, and he's painted brown. And he says to the psychiatrist, Doctor, doctor, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. What happened was his girlfriend said he's a worm, it crushed him, and he decided he's a worm. And he shows up to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist says, Fellow, I hear you. Here's a shovel. Go dig in the backyard, because that's where you belong. Go dig there. Make yourself feel more comfortable. I don't like this dysphoria that you're experiencing. Now, needless to say, we'd lock up that psychiatrist because when a fellow's experiencing psychiatric disorders, you help him, but you don't encourage his issue. 
what am I going to tell you? If you read Rachel Schreier's book, is that her name? Rachel Schreier, right, Schreier. Re- Rachel Schreier's book. Um, I have it on the shelf somewhere here. Um, basically, what has happened is because of social media, because of the agenda of the progressive, they've taken a psychiatric disorder and made it a social libertarian right, a constitutional right. You have to, it's now being educated, all the children are educated in the, the gender-bred man, the gender-bred person. You have to decide who you, it, it's, it is so deviant, it's so sad, because when you're dealing with a psychiatric issue, and you claim it to be a right of people, and you, and you foster it, and you teach it, what am I going to tell you? It's a very, we're not dealing with Stonewall Mora. Stonewall Mora, I get, you have a desire, you want to, yeah, you want to kill, I get it, rape, I get it. This is not what we're talking We're talking about misery. We're talking about absolute, complete insanity, misery. What am I going to tell you? I, I guess if this is on the air, I may, uh, I, you know, I could be locked up. This might, I, don't, I, I may not have a constitutional right to say what I'm saying, but I'm telling you. So um, I don't talk about this stuff because it's too, um, it's too, um, too painful, too sharp, too painful. We don't discuss it. No, so, my when, question is, does Tora mention it? Any issues uh, with Tora? I mean, man, there's two lots of says. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, it didn't exist. It doesn't exist. And it's meaning the 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 prohibition for a man to dress like a woman or a woman to dress like a man is for a different reason. It's because you'll come to attract because it's it's you're trying to seduce people of the other. And this this is insanity. That's what I'm saying to you. We're not dealing with something. Meaning, where was this historically? Do you know historically it used to be? First of all, it was only it was almost always young men, and we're dealing with point oh 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 one percent of the population, like a minuscule amount of the population. It was never historically there. It never existed. And now that it's being ex- you're exposed to it and explore and think about it and find yourself and you're dealing with everyone who needs to be a victim and everyone needs to have an identity and everyone's lost. You basically, again, read Rachel Schreier's book. If you can't find it, go. You can't find it by because it's banned on Amazon. You should know. I had to. I found that book. It was very, very difficult to find that book, and because it was banned on Amazon, it was um, because it's it's just too too honest and too. Um, too truthful. Um, let me see if I can find. Uh, see if I can find it as right over here. Um, <clears throat> I can't. I think I find it. All right, I'll have to find it. Um, I'll put okay, it. In, thank you. But okay. All right. Good. All right. Thank you, Edward. Much, much atzlacha. Okay. I thank you all for joining. Please feel free at any time. If you have any questions, please you can either type them in or you could send them to rebbeitashmuz.com. Also. If you're not on the Shmooz WhatsApp Chizik group, three, four times a week we send out these short inspirational videos. If you'd like to join, go to the Shmooz.com. On the banner you'll see, click and it'll, it'll sign you up for the Shmooz WhatsApp Chizik group. When you do that to your phone, you'll get uh, three, four times a week, you get these short inspirational videos, two, three minutes long. They're very inspiring. If you'd like to join, just go to the Shmooz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com and click on the subscribe and one last thing, the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make is coming out Hanukkah time. Please look for it. It's been very well received. The pre-publication has been out. Um, I, hope to you, I hope you get a chance to see it. I wish you a good Shabbos. Thank you much for joining. See you next week. Thank you.